It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Tammy Bruce. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. I'm Lisa Brady. The fighting in Ukraine has sent oil prices through the roof, and that affects a lot of Americans. We're talking about releasing oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It isn't going to help gasoline prices. The Biden administration pulled that trigger too quickly, and so I think that we're going to be facing a summer of pain when you get up to that pump. I'm Dave Anthony. Today, we take you to Ukraine, where a retired Navy officer is helping Americans and others stranded in a war zone get out. We did it after the operation I just came back from. We actually had a family who evacuated, a six-person family, who evacuated from Afghanistan to Ukraine, and I just evacuated them from Ukraine to Romania. And I'm Guy Benson. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Russia's war in Ukraine is adding more fuel to the energy debate in the U.S. Democrats want us to buy American, but not American oil and gas. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, part of a Republican chorus, urging the president to unleash U.S. oil production instead of just tapping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which he did for the second time this week, agreeing to supply half of the 60 million barrels pledged by 31 countries in the International Energy Agency. South Dakota Republican Senator John Thune calls that a Band-Aid. Something that's sort of a, a, a little bit of a relief valve, but this is a long-term structural supply and demand issue that only gets fixed by America becoming once again energy independent. The president's energy policy is also facing criticism from some Democrats, including West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. We're buying over 600,000 barrels a day of crude from Russia. The White House hasn't ruled out sanctions on Russia's energy sector, a big part of President Putin's military funding, but has also pushed back on calls to change policies at home, arguing that the world needs less reliance on oil in general. Oil prices hit their highest level in more than a decade on Wednesday, shooting past $112 a barrel before closing above 110. It doesn't bring back good memories. Phil Flynn is an energy market analyst and Fox Business contributor. I mean, the last time we see oil prices spike like this, it was, you know, the run up before the financial crisis in 2008. And listen, I like higher energy prices normally when they're driven by supply and demand, because I think that's a good thing. But when you see prices get driven by bad energy policy, and cutoffs of supplies because of war, that's when it can do damage to the economy. So, you know, I'm really concerned that the spike in energy prices, if it continues, and it very well could, could eventually drive the globe into a recession. Hmm. I mean, we'll talk about some of the causes more deeply in a moment, but Mm -hmm. I'm wondering exactly what does this translate to at the gas pump? Because obviously gas prices are rising, but there's more than just the price of oil that factors into the price at the gas pump, right? 
You're right. Absolutely. You know, the value of the dollar, supply and demand. But make no mistake about it. Almost everything you pay for a gallon of gasoline is directly related to the cost of crude oil. I think right now the price increase that you've seen probably is going to translate to at least a dollar a gallon at the pump by this summer of a price increase. And I'm afraid that, you know, even though we're talking about releasing oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, it isn't going to help gasoline prices. I think the Biden administration pulled that trigger too quickly. And so I think that we're going to be facing a summer of pain when you get up to that pump. I mean, the president, this was the second time since November that he agreed to tap the U.S. strategic reserves. And while it is being done in coordination with other countries, The other issue with that is, I guess, you know, how much good can 60 million barrels do even just in terms of reassuring oil markets? The world consumes almost 100 million barrels a day. So 60 million barrels of oil released from the reserve, what does that cover us through lunchtime? And and even in the United States, you know, the consumption is, you know, maybe a couple of days supplies at the very least. And what bothers me about this is that he's not using the Strategic Petroleum Reserve correctly, okay? You can't use the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to try to calm the global oil market. That's not what it's intended. You know, trying to control the supply and demand and the price of oil by using the strategic petroleum reserve is like trying to control a wild animal with a squirt gun. It doesn't work. So listen, the strategic reserve is there for cases of an emergency, not to try to control prices. And because President Biden went to the strategic petroleum reserve too early, it's going to have less of an impact when it's really needed. Well, in the meantime, OPEC and its oil producing allies have decided again not to accelerate their ramp up of production coming out of the pandemic. How much does this pace that they're sticking to hurt because supply isn't keeping up with increasing demand? You know, Lisa, I don't know if they get the newspapers over there, because if you look at the OPEC statement after they said that they weren't going to change course and raise production by 400,000 barrels a day, there was no mention of what was going on between Ukraine and Russia. Why? Because Saudi Arabia and Russia are co-conspirators in controlling global oil prices, and they have a lot of power over the market. And so they're not going to raise production to try to appease the United States or anybody else. When it comes to U.S. production, White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki essentially said this week, don't blame us. U.S. government doesn't dictate uh, where the U.S. market sells our own oil and gas products, nor where it acquires crude or refined products from for domestic consumption. Why have we been using more Russian oil? If I had a question to ask Jen Psaki, one question is like, what have you done since you have been in office to encourage more U.S. oil and gas production? I can tell you what they've done to discourage it. They killed the Keystone Pipeline. They put on drilling moratoriums on federal lands for drilling. They have put people on the court system that they've recommended that want to have all oil 
projects take into account its impact on climate change before they can go ahead with a project. This is going to cost the private sectors millions, if not billions of dollars over the years of increased costs to just get approval for projects, let alone completing projects and bringing oil to market. And then on top of that, you have the administration talking about more regulations, accusing the industry of gouging supplies and sending a signal to oil investors that you too could be on the hook for the evil deeds of U.S. oil and gas if you invest in these companies. You have the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department that are going to look at the books of private corporations and say, hey, look at your carbon footprint. You're in cahoots with big oil. We're going to find you. You've got pension funds that are pulling oil out of oil and gas companies because of the concerns about climate change. None of these things encourages investment in U.S. oil and gas. I have one follow-up question about this. Um, Because what about the White House argument that leasing sites that are already available in the U.S. are not being used by oil companies? Is that because they don't want to run the risk now of making the investment? That is a misleading Democratic talking point that shows a total misunderstanding about how the oil lease system works in the United States. When you're an oil company... You don't buy just one piece of land, you buy blocks of land. It's sort of like, instead of buying a house, you buy a subdivision. If you want part of the lease, you end up buying a lot of bad properties just because you want the good properties. So to say to go back and drill on these bad properties that aren't gonna yield very much oil isn't going to solve the problem. The other thing is when they put the drilling moratorium on these federal lands, a lot of companies panic bought as many leases as they could, not because they wanted to drill today or tomorrow, but because they were afraid that they would never get the chance to ever bid on these lands, right? So they weren't prepared at this point to come up with the billions of dollars that you're going to need or millions and, you know, depending on the land, the huge amount of capital that's going to be needed to drill on these lands until either the price went high enough or they could find investors to do it. So that brings us back to the original problem. Where are you going to get investors when they're being basically threatened by the green energy lobby? Oh, you're adding to the carbon footprint and you're a bad person if you invest in oil and gas. So the amount of capital available has really dried up because of this anti-fossil fuel agenda. President Biden is now under increasing pressure, even from some Democratic lawmakers, to target Putin's energy sector with sanctions. If those carve outs that have been allowed so far by the U.S. and others in sanctions are no longer allowed, how much would it hurt Americans and other consumers around the world? Well, the reason why we're doubling oil imports from Russia is because U.S. refiners need heavy oil to produce gasoline. And even though the U.S. is a prolific producer of oil, most of that oil is light oil and better for other refiners. So we would normally look to our neighbors to the north to get that oil because they produce that type of oil. But 
we can't get it in sufficient amounts because we killed the Keystone Pipeline. So we've looked to Russia to do that. Now, we could very easily cut off Russia imports tomorrow, but it would probably add at least 10 to 15 cents a gallon to the gas uh, price. So listen, there will be some pain at the pump. And that's why the Biden administration is afraid to do it. President Biden's track record on gasoline prices is available for anybody that pulls up to the gas pump. (laughs) They remember where gas prices were when he was elected president and where they are now. They realize that his policies have caused this. And so I think he's deathly afraid of the American public blaming him for another increase in gasoline prices, which would definitely happen once they put in these new sanctions on Russian oil. Spring is right around the corner now. These rising oil and gas prices come just ahead of what maybe would be a very different summer travel season. There could be big ripple effects from all of this. In a normal market, Lisa, we normally expect the summertime blends can add 10 to 15 cents a gallon. In this type of environment, that could be double just for the switch over to the summertime blends. And now you look at the larger impact of fuel prices at the gas pump for the parts of the country that use ethanol. Because now the Ukraine is a major grain producer and there's a possibility, of course, that supplies of grains and exports could be halted. So there is a lot of things that go into gasoline, such as ethanol, that are going to go up as well. So now you add that on to the cost of crude oil. You could very easily be talking $4 a gallon may look cheap before the summer's over. You know, we could see a national average of $5 a gallon, you know, if Russian supplies get cut off and if the supplies out of Ukraine continue to get halted. Phil Flynn, energy market analyst and Fox Business contributor. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. This is Guy Benson with your Fox News commentary coming up. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has entered its second week. Together, the vast majority of the world has condemned Russia's unprovoked, unjustified, unconscionable war. Linda Thomas-Greenfield is U.S. ambassador to the U.N., where the vote to condemn Russia was 141 to 5. A Ukrainian member of parliament, Alexandra Ustinova, tells Fox Russia's leader isn't just attacking the military. He's targeting civilians because he wants to get as many Ukrainians killed as he can. And while some Ukrainian men take up arms to join the fight, hundreds of thousands of women and children have fled the country, but not all can get out. They call taxi today. No one want to go. Valentina Barsakova is an American from Michigan, stranded while visiting her mother. Explosions all over, so it's just not safe. She says there are trains, but you can't get tickets. 
So she and her husband might try to get on one, maybe tomorrow. However, she fears they'll be separated. Because they let only women with kids go and pushing men away. The U.S. government is not rescuing Americans, but some are privately. Brian Stern, co-founder of Project Dynamo, is helping people get out. So the situation is dire uh, and complicated in every way. We've talked to Brian before, last year when he was helping rescue Americans stuck in Afghanistan after the chaotic U.S. withdrawal. Uh, unlike Afghanistan, you, you know, Afga- the Afghanistan operations that Project Dynamo conducted was the conclusion or the, you know, the last couple of pages of a 20-year war. Mm-hmm. Here in Ukraine, it's the, it's the first couple of days of a, you know, the first couple of pages of the beginning of a new war. So the dynamic on the ground is, is fundamentally different. There's, there's always commonalities with rescues there's always a medium of transportation there's always a need as far as the the nuances with it it's completely different it's a completely different problem set right and you are dealing with an active war and when you're moving people you don't know necessarily where an explosion might be going or where russia might be attacking where are you now uh right now i'm at uh, uh we call it hotel dynamo uh, AKA Hotel Tranquility. You'll, you may hear that around. Okay. Uh, 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 it's a safe location within Ukraine where Dynamo is, is uh, where, we've ba- where we're starting to kind of base our operations. Uh-huh. It's, in a, it's, it's in a good spot. Um, it's in a good spot uh, close within striking distance of a couple of countries for cross-border operations, far away from a lot of the primary military targets that Vladimir Putin and the Red Army are, uh, are targeting. Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, we just did not. We just did a series of operations over the last 24 hours, and uh, we had artillery, we had missiles, and we had gunfire in the streets oh, as we were. Geez. Oh my gosh! So, so where you are now, you're safe. But when you're out getting people and collecting people and putting them on buses, that's where you're right in the zones. It is an active war zone. There's no, there's no two ways about it. People are getting killed every single day. Uh, Kharkiv is getting mercilessly shelled as we speak. Um, uh, there's, there's a, it, it, it is an active war zone, and everything that you would expect of an active war zone of a country that's that's under siege by a foreign invading force. How many people have you been able to rescue so far? Uh, I could tell you how many operations, how many missions we've done. And I, uh, I literally just ran back in from doing another one. I, I was in, uh, I'm in Ukraine right now. I was, I was in Romania about 20 minutes ago. So um, uh, how let's do, let's rephrase it. How many missions have you had and are you dealing with busloads of people? Yep. Uh, we've done, uh, we've done, we've done six, six operations. One of those operations was very sensitive. It was a single, it was a single uh, female uh, operation. She's a, uh, we had a single female who was, uh, who was pregnant also with a baby. So oh, we my. treated her. Uh, there were some other, other issues there. So we were treating, we treated that one with a little bit of kick gloves. Um, our first operation was by far, I would say our most prolific uh, um, it, uh, which I'm happy to explain that, yeah. but, um, we've done six in total. So when you say prolific, is that where you were able to get the most people out? Uh, no, um, it, it, prolific in the sense of we, we came to Ukraine again, as a contrast to Afghanistan, when, when project Dynamo was founded in my living room in August, 2021, which is amazing to say that in March, 2022, we're still talking about it. That was never the plan. 
um, it was started in the shadow of an evacuation that was not going well. Yeah, the evacuation right. of Afghanistan. When when Ukraine started, we got here before the war, before the first shots, shots were fired. There was a buildup. Uh, one of our donors had inquired if we were going to support. And the decision that I made was, let's go forward because Noah built the ark before the flood. And I thought, as I reflected, wouldn't it be amazing if we could, if, you know, the lessons learned from our Afghanistan operations, if we can apply those to planning out what Ukraine may be. Who knows? At the time, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if, if Russia was going to invade. You know, it, it could have been we came out here to build all this human and physical infrastructure and it turned out to be for no reason. Right. So on the the, the morning that uh, the morning the first missiles flew, uh, I was in uh, I was in downtown Kiev and um, and it shook my hotel like many others. It, it, they landed not too far away uh, from downtown. And um, what was amazing to me was watching how the planning process that we that we conducted really, really, really worked. When the missiles flew, we my my buses were my bus was picking me up in front of my location in just under 60 minutes. And we were conducting rescue operations within 90 minutes and we were rolling down the road to safety with a busload of people. Uh, right around the 93rd minute from the first cut from the first attack. Wow, that is incredible. That's pretty, pretty unbelievable. I would challenge most organizations to be able to do that in that kind of response time, especially a donor funded. uh, We're all volunteers. We have no backup really from a whole from anyone other than generosity of our donors. So pretty. So now when people you, you get contacted all the time and these are not just Americans, I imagine that you're helping to get out of this country. Am I right? I'm happy to save. I'm happy to save and evacuate and rescue anybody that we can move and evacuate safely and legally. We don't violate the laws of any country, any country ever, ever, ever. We we respect the laws and the, and the sovereignty of everyone. So we don't we don't smuggle. We don't we don't do anything like that. Uh, so as long as you're able to travel legally and it's appropriate and uh, uh, there, there's no um, there, there, there's uh, we can do it properly. We're very happy to do so on our run today. We did it. We on our we did it up the operation. I just came back from. We actually had a family who evacuated a six person family who evacuated from Afghanistan to Ukraine, and I just evacuated them from Ukraine to Romania. Oh my today. gosh! Today. Wow, so, they were, they, they've, they've had a heck of a six months. Wow, pretty rough. But just, to, just as an example, an Afghan family with Swiss, with uh, Swiss visas in their passports, I can move them safely and legally. Uh, uh, about the battle space and uh, and um, you know appropriately getting all the all the right all the right stamps and all that stuff. Now, when it comes to Ukraine, we've heard a lot about how banks are closed. You can't get money. You can't use credit cards. A lot of stores are closed. There's not a lot of stuff and food. There's no eggs. There's no meat. All these kinds of things. How are you getting supplied? Very difficult access to currency is one of our biggest challenges credit cards and wire transfers and uh you know american express doesn't work in ukraine so everything has to be done with hard currency actual paper money and it is hard to find grievna the local currency here it really is the atms are empty banks are empty um exchanges are empty and uh, uh um uh, it, it is very difficult so if if i can find gas if which is incredibly hard for buses, incredibly hard, if I can do that. 
it's really hard to pay for it, <laughs> man. Uh, you know, finding finding bus drivers is a challenge because if they can leave, they do. So it, there's the, it's an availability issue of uh, of everything. Doesn't matter really what it is. If it's not bus drivers, it's gasoline. If it's not gasoline, it's currency. If it's not currency, it's something else. So um, uh, um, it is challenging. You know, how, how do you talk a bus driver who can get across the border legally and safely with him and his family? How do I talk him into, man, why don't you hang out a little bit? Send the wife and kids across. You hang out with me. Let's go to Kiev and, and go get possibly killed by artillery. Not, not it's a tough proposition. It's a very, but very there have been a lot of men who have stayed to fight. And in fact, most of the refugees who've left the country are women and children. And a lot of men have been lining up to get weapons to try to fight the Russians. So have you have you been getting mostly men and women or um, rather mostly women and children out? Uh, we 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 uh, I don't know I don't know if I'd say mostly women and children, but um, I haven't really looked at the numbers to be to, to be honest. Okay. Uh, but what I will tell you is is that I have yet to meet a Ukrainian man who doesn't want to fight. I that that doesn't seem to be in their DNA. And I'll tell you, it's it's we learned this in the from studying studying the history of the Crusades. One man defending his home is better than ten hired soldiers. I don't care where that is; doesn't matter. And that has never been more true here in Ukraine. Say this invasion continues to close in on all these different cities and more of Ukraine falls, unfortunately. At what point will it be too unsafe for you to do what you do? We'll see. And as long as there's as long as there's a need and as long as there's funding available and as long as as long as we can, we will continue to operate. I. Uh, our current database, as of yesterday, and I'm sure it's gone up, we're at just over 8,500 Ukrainian people in Ukraine asking us for help. I'm not going to turn my back as long as we can. It's Where can funny. people go? Where can people go to help you? The the two big things that you can do to help me are go to ProjectDynamo.org, and there are two buttons. The first button is the evacuation form button. If you have, if you are in Ukraine, if you have family or friends in Ukraine, they need to get out. That is how we find them. That is how we rack and stack. How you know uh, uh, wh- when and how and if recognize them. We're not going to rescue everybody. We can't. I wish we could, but that's not really plausible or feasible. Um, but the, that form is step one of getting you out. The other thing to do is we are donor funded, and not, we're all volunteers. I'm not paid. I'm a, I am. I do. I don't draw a salary. No one on. No one. No Dynamo. Uh, no. No one on Dynamo gets paid a penny. Not a single one of us. Every dollar that you give goes to either the, either to preparing an operation or conducting an operation. So it's very simple. You give money, we save lives. That's it. It couldn't be easier. So every dollar counts. Five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks, a hundred bucks. Whatever you can do. Brian Stern is the co-founder for Project Dynamo. And again, we're talking to him as he is in Ukraine, helping to get Americans and others out of a war zone. Brian, thank you very much. We wish you well and we wish you safety and and we uh, hope to talk to you again sometime soon. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Fox 
News Radio on demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Guy Benson. Benson. What's on your mind? President Biden delivered his first State of the Union address on Tuesday night, and many of the members of Congress in the packed hall were not wearing masks. Just weeks earlier, they had been told that masking and distancing and hand sanitizing would be required, with physical contact not allowed. But wouldn't you know it, on literally the eve of the president's big political speech, the science miraculously changed, as did the rules for the House chamber. They're not even trying to be subtle about politics and optics running the show. Octogenarian House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told reporters that she would not be wearing a mask behind the president, hastening to add that she would if she had young children, proving that she has learned absolutely nothing about this virus over the last two years, which is actually rather representative of the whole D.C. mindset during this pandemic. I'll say it once again, loudly and clearly for the people in the back. The science didn't change. The politics did. And everyone understands exactly what's going on here. I'm Guy Benson. Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.